Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Morning, everybody. Um, I really love music and literature, and I love learning from people about new artists and writers and stuff. And typically when somebody's really excited about an artist that I've never heard about, and they're like, oh my gosh, I typically respond with, well, give me, give me a song or a record or a novel that's a good place for me to start, that kind of captures the essence of this author as I want to get into him or her. And typically the person will respond like, oh, that's so hard because it's all so good. You know, I don't know where to start. You can't start anywhere. But typically it's like this this record, this album, or this novel is where I would start. I think it captures, really defines what the essence of this person's work. Jesus is the most famous preacher of all time. Can we get an amen? <laughs> he is the most famous. And if someone were to come up and to ask me, what is a good intro to Jesus's preaching and teaching? What really defines what his message was all about, I would point them to Mark 1, verse 15. This one small verse. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I would argue that this is Jesus' definitive sermon, his definitive message. All his life and teaching, I think, comes out of those three little phrases. It is the reduction sauce of the gospel. And I would argue that it's not just me who thinks this about Mark 1, verse 15. I think the Bible actually presents this short teaching of Jesus as his central message. These are the first words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, and Mark is extremely careful in the way that he has constructed his gospel. John prepares the way at the beginning. By the way, if you have a Bible, open it up to Mark 1. I should have said that. If not, open up in your bulletin. If you're at home, please grab your Bible and open up with me to Mark 1 because we're going to be referencing that throughout this service. But if you're looking at Mark 1, you'll see that John comes in the beginning and he baptizes, he prepares the way. And then after John is arrested, Jesus comes onto the scene And as verse 14 says, he was preaching the gospel of God and saying, quote, these are Jesus' first words, the very first ones that come out of his mouth. This is amazing to actually ponder this for a second. The first thing he says is, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark uniquely places that at the beginning of anything that Jesus ever said, and all the rest of Mark flows from that statement. And not only that, we're pretty confident that out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is definitely the earliest Gospel, like historically, in the way that it was written. And so, these are the first recorded words of Jesus. So as we dig into this sermonette, uh, it's all about meat and potatoes this morning. It's what it's all about. If you are new to Christianity, if you're interested in Christianity and you're learning more about it, whether you're here or you're watching online, what a treat. Okay, yeah, what is Jesus' message all about? That's what we're going to talk about. If you've been following Jesus for decades, 
I promise you we need to be reminded of what his message is all about. Amen? Meat and potatoes. That's what I should have made my sermon title this morning. That would have been way better than Jesus' definitive sermon. The other sermon title I thought about was The Gospel According to Jesus. That has a good smack to it. But anyways, Jesus' most definitive sermon of the greatest preacher of all time. Guess how many points his sermon has? Three. The platonic ideal of sermon points. Not two. Not four. But three. Three points. We're going to walk through each of them. Um, Open up to your sermon page. Uh, I actually have given you an outline in this, if that's helpful to you. There's some blanks to fill in. I know some people at home enjoy blanks, and so this is for you. Um, What are the three points? The first one is this. First thing that defined Jesus' message, it's a message of immediacy. Immediacy. That's what you can put in your first blank. And if you want to put in next to it in quotations, you can write, the time is fulfilled. This is Jesus' first part of this three-part sermon. A marked characteristic of Jesus' teaching was immediacy. The kingdom is now. The time is now. God is doing something unique now. This requires all our attention and action right now. The time is fulfilled And here's a way to understand why that would maybe be the first thing that Jesus ever says in the Bible. Have you ever been to a water park with your kids or as a kid or as an adult who feels like a kid? Uh, Usually there's a playground in the water park with tons of slides and like tree houses and all kinds of cool stuff. And sometimes at the top of this playground water park structure, there'll be a massive bucket. And this bucket fills up with water. And... It's really cool because you're watching it just fill up with water and water. And at some point, the bucket gets full. And what does it do? It tips over and pours over everybody. And it's amazing. And the super fun part about being a kid is that you never know when it's going to fill up and go. And then it's this big surprise when the time comes when it gets full. Ever since Adam and Eve and the fall, God has been setting things in motion when you read the Old Testament throughout history to redeem and transform the world. So you have to imagine that the Old Testament is a bucket that is filling up. The Bible uses that language all the time. The Bible starts using that language of filling up in Genesis, and it goes throughout the rest of the Old Testament. What is it filling up with? The sins of the people. What else is it filling up with? The promises of God's love and salvation and righteous judgment. To a point, the Old Testament is saying, It's going to fill up until, as St. Paul would later say in Romans, at just the right time, just the right time, the time would fill up and it would be the moment. The bucket would tip. God's love and promises and salvation and judgment would pour out in some way. John the Baptist, you have to imagine, as like the last little drop of water in the bucket. His role, he's like the kid on the playground that everybody else is playing and he's like, hey, The bucket's about to tip over. And then Jesus comes and just the, be captured by this for a second. The first thing he says is, it's time. The time is fulfilled. First words out of Jesus' mouth. Waiting is over. Preparation is over. Prophecy, promise, practice, it's over. The kingdom of God is live. You know how on TV they have the little box with the live symbol in it and it goes, 
when it's live. You have to imagine when Jesus shows up on the scene, the eternal live box goes, the kingdom is now. And in fact, if you have the Gospel of Mark, if you, if you have your Bible in front of you, and you read the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice that a defining characteristic of Mark is immediacy. Um, the word immediately almost gets annoying in the Gospel of Mark as you read it. You're like, really? Is everything happening this immediately? The word immediately happens 42 times in the Gospel of Mark, which is 75% of the times it's used in all the Bible. And 10 of the times immediately immediately is used, is in Mark chapter 1. How crazy is that? Jesus shows up, and immediately he comes out of the water, and the Father speaks over him, and he's anointed by the Spirit. In the first chapter, in the story that Gwen read about the fishermen, immediately Jesus calls the guys, it says. So it's not like Jesus sees, you know, James and John and Andrew, and he's like, hey, can I just get to know you guys for a little bit before I call you? I just want to make sure... Uh, that you are the type of people I want to call. Can we, like, have a meal first? No, it says immediately he just saw them and said, follow me. And it also says that immediately they followed him. They dropped their nets. Immediately, chapter 1 will go on to say, people are healed. Immediately, demons are cast out. Um, just from the story itself, Jesus shows up and it's just happening. It's now. Now we're going to learn from the next two points what was the immediacy was about. Um, but before we do, what's the opposite of immediacy in Jesus' message? I find that sometimes, this is maybe helpful in your own study, a really good way to understand what someone is saying is trying to think, what's the opposite of this? What would be the lie that they're going after? And I gave you a blank for this, if you're a blank filler-inner. Here's the lie. Now is not the time. Now is not the time. That's the lie. That's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Nothing is happening now. I've got time to do what I want. I still need some time, actually. All this immediacy kind of freaks me out. This isn't the season for me to be attentive to the movement of God. It's actually not even the season of the movement of God. Maybe later. That's the lie. Massive portions of Jesus' teaching are bent on combating that untruth. Jesus is constantly trying to get people to reckon with the fact that there is an immediacy to their predicament, that there is an immediacy to the offer of salvation that requires their attention now. That is how Jesus comes out of the gate. It's time. It's the first thing he says. And at first, it's a message of immediacy. Second, here's your next blank. It's a message of proximity. Immediacy, proximity. And you can put in quotations next to the word proximity, the kingdom of God is at hand. NIV translate that, translates that as the kingdom of God is near you. Again, I said at the beginning, I love the King James, it's my favorite. The kingdom of God is nigh upon you. When's the last time you said that? Behold, my dog is nigh upon you. Uh. In other words, what God is saying is, you know, what God is doing isn't happening out there. It's right in front of you. So it's not just immediate. It's in your face. It's right outside your window. Jesus comes out of the gate saying. Remember a year ago? A year ago, guys. It's January, whatever it is. We started hearing about a little thing called coronavirus. And it started in Wuhan, China. 
And I remember the first time I read it, it was like buried in a couple headlines that there was this weird thing happening. It was bad, it was reality, but it was far away. Then it spread in China and then Asia. Then we heard about Italy. And like more people started saying, like, this is probably going to be a thing. And I was like, this isn't going to be a thing. And then, do you remember what it was like to hear of the first case in Seattle and New York? It's like the corners of America got it. All of a sudden, it got a lot more real. And then, I don't know about you guys, but there was a day in March sometime where uh, the powers that be who have my phone number texted me the, like, amber alert, red alert text message that was like, COVID-19 is in your community. Like, if you've been outside, you've been exposed. Does anybody else get that text message besides me? Um, Then it was real. Coronavirus was a now reality, and then it became a near reality, if you get what I'm saying. Immediate and proximate. And this is Jesus' message. This is how we encounter the gospel. Not out there, but close. We don't go looking for it. It comes looking for us. Jesus comes to say, it's here. Think about the fishermen. The fishermen are doing their job. I mean, they're fishing. They're literally tending to their nets, and boom, the Messiah is in front of them. Talking about this with our team this morning, at the end of Mark's gospel, the same book, he describes a beautiful guy named Joseph of Arimathea, who's the dude who goes to ask for Jesus' body to bury him. What an amazing ministry that man had in the history of the world. But the Bible describes him as someone who also was looking for the kingdom, which is a beautiful description. And this person was looking for it. And so we know that what Jesus is saying isn't coming out of thin air. People were looking for the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is it's come for you. It's come close. And by the way, before we go any further, this is gospel. God draws near to you. The kingdom comes to you somehow before you even could find it or had the wherewithal to find it or thought to look for it. Jesus comes up and says, the kingdom is nigh upon you. Praise God. Now, what's the lie? The falsehood that's the opposite of this is God is far away. That's for your lie blank. God is far away. This is probably something that other people are encountering or maybe the other super spiritual people, but not me. The kingdom is not close to me. It's not accessible to me. No, 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 Jesus would say. It's before you. It's at hand. A definitive aspect of the gospel is that God moves near to you. The incarnation of the Son of God, the reason that God became born of flesh, is to draw close to his people who are far away. Before the prodigal son comes home, what does the father do? He goes out to him. The reason that God sent the Holy Spirit is so that he could be closer still with you wherever you you go. The reason we have the sacraments that Jesus has given to the church is so that he can keep his people close. The gospel is about closeness, nearness. So Jesus' message is about immediacy and proximity. The kingdom is now, the kingdom is near, are the first two things that Jesus says. And before we move on, I think it's helpful to point out, because this can be confusing, that this is what Jesus means when he says the word gospel. It's like, I thought gospel was about, you know, Jesus and the cross. What does Jesus mean when he says gospel in the very beginning of of Mark? The background context for the word gospel, good news, 
comes from the Old Testament where it's connected to the saving intervention of God to be with his people, to save his people. The good news was prophesied that one day God's kingdom would come in and break in upon history in this decisive way to set up God's righteous rule with his anointed king to vanquish evil, to liberate his people. So look at your Mark 1 real quick. In verse 14, when Jesus showed up in Galilee preaching the gospel of God, what is that? It's what he says next. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, God is breaking into history right now to liberate his people. His righteous rule and his beautiful kingdom, which you have been anticipating, is beginning now. It's happening. And when Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel, what's he talking about? He's referring back to what he just said. So really what you have in verses 14 to 15 is like a little gospel sandwich, which are the best kinds of sandwiches, right? That was a joke, guys. And so what's cool, just before we move on, because I think this is helpful, is that Jesus is the one who both preaches the gospel and enacts it. Um, because who is the anointed and the righteous king? Thank you. How does God break into history to vanquish evil and liberate his people? By his death and resurrection. So, in a really cool way, the gospel of kingdom is both proclaimed by Jesus and is about Jesus. Does that make sense? All right. With that in mind, we come to Jesus' third point, which we just referenced. But if the first two points were about immediacy and proximity, the third definitive part of Jesus' teaching is about radical reorientation. That's your third blank, radical reorientation. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus' preaching does not simply around announcing the kingdom, what also defines it is that the kingdom's nowness and nearness demands action. And that action is a radical reorientation of our lives around the gospel, around the kingdom. And the two parts of this reorientation, repent and believe, are significant. To repent, you may have heard before, is to turn away from something. To walk away from something. To say no. Repent is a no. To believe is to turn towards something, to walk towards something, and to say yes. So there's a no and a yes here. To repent is to disorient yourself from your old life. To believe is to reorient yourself around something new. And for our Lord, these actions go together and they cannot be separated. There is no yes to Jesus without saying no to something else. Let me say that again. There is no yes to Jesus without saying no to something else. There has to be a break with the old before there can be a bond with the new. And this is why in the Old Testament, the right worship of Yahweh is always paired with the smashing of idols. You will never find a revival in the Old Testament that does not coincide with a trash dump of burning broken shards of old false gods. They always go hand in hand. It's true of Abraham. It's true of David, times of kings. It's always paired with the pick, pointing out and smashing of idols. 
So there's no yes without a no. Similarly, there has to be a yes that follows a no. If repentance isn't followed with belief, it's just shame. That's miserable. Repentance alone accomplishes nothing. And in my short life of pastoring, I have watched a lot of people just repent. And it's, it's tragic. That's not the gospel. To just disorient yourself from something that has been destroying you and not reorient yourself around the Son of Man is to just be driven further into shame and desolation. That's not Jesus' message. It's when repentance is paired with turning to Jesus that transformation happens. There's a break with the old, and then you're bonded to something new. Mark is a really good author, and so right after Jesus' sermon, we get a picture of radical reorientation. A little vignette. Look at your gospel. Literally, in the next verse, Jesus sees Andrew and Simon, and they are defined as fishermen in verse 16. Who are these guys? They're fishermen. And Jesus calls them to radically reorient their lives to something new, to become fishers of men. And they drop their nets. Right after that, Jesus sees James and John, and they are defined in verse 19 as sons of Zebedee. Maybe this was a toxic relationship. Maybe their family culture was super intense. Maybe Zebedee was just a really awesome guy, but it's just, I don't know. That's how the Bible presents James and John to us. And Jesus calls them, and the text explicitly says that they left their father. Isn't that interesting? Mark isn't saying that fishing is evil. I love fishing. That would be tragic. Jesus was a good fisherman, the best. It's not saying that fathers are evil, but they act as types here. They're like metaphors in a way. Work and family are used by people in the Bible as reasons to not follow Jesus. I'm sorry I have a job. I'm sorry I have to go bury my father literally is what people give excuses. And work and family tend to be things that we orient our life around. Maybe the, the two that we most heavily orient our lives around. That's why I think we have this little vignette. It's radical. They leave those things, and they literally pivot and turn and follow Jesus. And look at the front, your artwork. This is by a Chinese artist that I really like that has a bunch of really cool, just modern representations of gospel scenes. This is his depiction of this, and I love, he usually has disciples looking upward, but I love the one guy who's waving to his dad. He's, he's saying bye to Zebedee, and Zebedee here is actually a really good guy. He's like, man, what an opportunity Reorient your life around Jesus, which is a great example of parenting. Um, but what a cool scene of these people that are turning to the Lord Jesus. Now, what's the lie that's opposite the message of radical reorientation? What's the opposite of this? Here's for your last lie blank. The gospel changes and requires nothing. The gospel changes and requires nothing. Jesus is interesting, his message is powerful, but I mean, I'm going to add it along to other TED Talks that I'm listening to, and that's really nice, but I'm going to do what I want. I mean, this isn't like, you know, I'm not going to like convert. That's like 1950s. This is, you know, 2021. Life goes on as normal. No, Jesus preaches. Right out of the gate, 
Jesus is calling for life-altering, countercultural change. What he has to say brings about a full, miraculous, utterly distinct conversion to something new. There's an utterly different gravitational center to your life after you encounter Jesus. So there you have it. The first words of Jesus ever recorded, his definitive sermon, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Immediacy, proximity, radical reorientation. Two simple applications for us this morning from all this. They're very simple. First, this is the sermon we preach to the nations until the Lord returns. Second, this is the sermon we preach to ourselves every day. First, let's go back to the first one. This sermon, the gospel of God, remains the Christian's fundamental message to the nations. In fact, at the end of the gospel, both in the books of Mark and Matthew, Jesus says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That means that all history between Jesus' first and second coming is time that God has allotted for everyone to hear this same message. Right now is time that God has graciously given us so that more people can hear these words. Every day, salvation is being freely offered. Wow. Through the Holy Spirit, God is always near. You can't go anywhere on earth and escape him. And everywhere, people are called to radically reorient themselves around the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches us that our job is to yell this into every nook and cranny of the earth until he returns because the enemy is still at large sowing those lies that we talked about this morning. And if the message is true for the nations, the lies are still true. No, now's not the time. No, God isn't close at all. And no, I mean, this is interesting, but like, I don't, this changes nothing for me. Yes, it does. Amen? Yes, it does. If you're here this morning or you're watching on the live stream and you have never repented and believed in the gospel, you need to hear the time is now. It's the right time. The kingdom is near you. God is close. Throw down whatever nets the Holy Spirit pricks in your heart that are nets. Leave your father in whatever way the Holy Spirit applies that to your life right now. Whatever break you need to break with in order to bond with Jesus. Because in the same way that the bucket was filling up in the Old Testament, the New Testament uses that language as well. Now the bucket is also filling up as all the nations are hearing this definitive gospel message. And Jesus promises that one day the bucket will be full and it will tip and the end will come and the final day of judgment will come. So yes, the definitive sermon of Jesus is for us to preach until he returns. This is what we are armed with. Amen? But second, it's also a sermon that we need to preach to ourselves every single day. Every day. 
because we can believe those lies whether you are brand new to Christianity or you've been following Jesus for decades. It's not the time. God is just far away. Gospel changes and requires nothing of me. I wonder which of those you might be vulnerable to this morning that you might need to hear Jesus' sermon. Which lie has really taken over in your life? It's not the time for whatever God is calling you to. The kingdom is not at hand. It's not close. And I'm fine. Nothing changes because of the gospel. There's absolutely a moment that we convert in our Christian life. We believe in conversion. That word is a good word. Baptism happens once, not repeatedly. And we're about to say that we believe in one baptism for the repentance of, for the forgiveness of sins. And yet there's always more of us that can be more deeply and profoundly converted. In a way, conversion happens all the time. And that means that every day is the time to repent and believe in the gospel. Amen. And that's what we have the opportunity to do, not only every day, but our worship is built around the fact that we first do this, we're hearing the gospel, and in a second we're going to repent, we're going to hear that we're forgiven, and we're going to commune, we're going to draw close to the God who draws close to us. That's why church is the best. So every day we hear this sermon, because the kingdoms of the world are constantly trying to suck us back into the vortex of other kingdoms and other gravitational centers. So as we conclude, hear the gospel of God. Hear the first words of Jesus and the ones that still are true for you today. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.